kids who are heading out to reach kids. Follow Katie out right now. to be with you after a week with kids. <laughs> it's exciting to get to talk on a normal level, so that, that's, that's a good thing. So today we are continuing in our series, Everyone Needs a Friend. And today we're looking at a very special kind of friend. We're looking at how to be a Philip, how to be a Philip. Now what that means, that essentially means how to be an evangelist. But Philip is, is a different kind of evangelist. so doing, he actually revolutionizes uh, the history of the church even. And he opens up the gospel and the worship of God to people who were excluded for thousands of years. And so today we're talking about how to be Philips ourselves. And a Philip is, is a unique kind of friend because it's maybe a short friendship, but it's maybe one of the most important of all. That we have interactions with people who are excluded from them in to a relationship with the God of the universe. And so we're going to learn how to be, uh, a little bit, how to learn, uh, to be Phillips, how to engage people who are outcasts and bring the gospel. Because people are, are naturally, kind of, the gospel is confusing, and Jesus can be pretty confusing. And naturally the church can actually be a place of, uh, of rejection. That's what Philip did, and that is what we're going to learn to do today. So we're going to learn to do three things that Philip does. He engages the dead. He engages the dead. He educates the curious. And finally, he embraces the outcast. So today we're going to be talking about engaging, educating, embracing, to the end that we might be a friend like Philip, who actually changes people's lives for all eternity. So turn with me to Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts 8, verses 26 through 40. Acts 8, 
26. of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south, for the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to worship, to Jerusalem to worship, and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from him. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with his scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and then the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so, Philip, let's jump right in at point one. First of all, Philip follows the Lord, and he follows the Spirit of God to engage with the dead. He goes into a place of death to engage with a man of death. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Arise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. Now anyone on their own accord, by reason itself, you're thinking, where, where do I do evangelism? You don't go into the desert. You go to the city, you go to the marketplace, you go where there's people, and you go where there's life. But the Spirit specifically tells him to go into the desert. It's a place of death, there's no fruit, there's no life, there's nothing habitable. And we wonder, where are the spiritual deserts? things are, we think of the, the bars, we think of the, the frat houses, the, the explicit deserts of, of spirituality, but I think in our culture, everywhere is a desert, that no, no place is, is welcoming Jesus Christ, no one is welcoming talk about the gospel and about God, and so if we're engaging with our culture, we have to go out into the desert wilderness, and we'll be led there by the Spirit. We might not expect to find life, but, but Philip does. Philip finds a man there, and it's a man in the desert. And honestly, this is a man who, it's fitting to meet him in the desert, because 
has no life in him. He has no life in him. He's devoid of all the spiritual life that, that would be expected in this culture. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. All right, so this guy, this guy is doubly cursed. First curse, he's an Ethiopian. Now, not specific to him being Ethiopian, but he's a foreigner. He's a foreigner trying to worship the God of Israel. And the problem is that foreigners are not invited to worship the God of Israel. That Israel is actually treated as, as its own special nation with their own special God. And so as, as a foreigner, as a Gentile, he wouldn't be invited to worship in this temple. Now we hear that and we think, well, why would God put that law in place? And we maybe don't like that exclusivity of God. But what, what's God's plan here? His plan is that Israel would be a nation that is uh, unique unto itself. It'd be a holy nation, which means a nation set apart. And as a nation set apart, it was supposed to be a really weird nation that did weird things. And whenever you see Israel, you're supposed to think, who are those weird people? And they must have a weird God. They must have a different kind of God than we have because they act so strangely. And they were supposed to be so holy that the people, when they saw this nation, would be attracted to God. And so foreigners weren't welcome because they would, they would pollute it. They would pollute it with false gods, with false idols, with false culture. So that's the plan. God would use this nation of Israel to single-handedly kind of shape the nations. But the problem is for this Ethiopian, he would have gone to worship in Jerusalem. And he would have walked to the temple, and he would have walked up to the, the beautiful gate. That's what it's called, the gate that stands before the opening of the temple and they wouldn't have let him inside. He would have been barred from entering the temple, and he would have had to stay on the outskirts, the courtyard of the Gentiles. He literally would have been worshiping God kind of from the outside looking in. He was not welcome to enter through the beautiful gate to the court of the women, to the court of the men, to the court of the priests or the holy of holies. He's, he's cut off. And so he cannot offer sacrifices. He cannot be cleansed by the, the ritual cleansing. He can't offer worship in the temple of the Lord. This is a man who culturally, culturally he is dead. Because he is cut off from the one God of life. This is a man who, who is in the desert. But there's a second thing working against this man. Ethiopian, he's a Gentile, but he's also a eunuch. Now that means, or the equivalent, I guess. Uh, he's a eunuch, which means that in that culture, life comes through having kids. Life comes through having a family and, and passing on your name, your inheritance to the next generation. And this is a man who cannot do that. 
that's how most of the cultures thought about eternal life. That if you wanted eternal life, you did it by having kids, and they would pass them to you. But this man, this man, he has no life. He has no posterity. He has no future so, accordingly, so if we're trying to worship a God of life and reflect to all the other cultures that our God is a God of life, Israel barred anyone who is a eunuch, anyone who is kind of sexually broken in this way, from worshiping. They weren't allowed in the congregation. They weren't allowed to offer sacrifices. They weren't allowed to go to the holy festivals. Because it would have confused the message. It would have said, oh, the God of Israel, is, is he a God of death? So they weren't allowed in. So this is a man who is dead. He is dead culturally, he is dead physically and sexually. He is cut off. He is cut off from God. And we have to understand that this is still the case that there are people who are culturally and and physically and sexually cut off from God. into the church and they feel like they're on the outside looking into this weird nation these weird people and there are people who as a result of their brokenness as a result of their sin and their shame they come into this world and they just feel like dead they feel dead and they feel like they can never get back and we might even perpetuate that communicate that we have this standard and if they don't then they are not holy and that's why that's why we need pillars because those people they're going to come in here and they're they're not going to understand maybe you come in here and you feel like you are rejected and on the outskirts and we need Phillips to go in and, and speak to those people to welcome them say, well, oh, maybe they'll, they'll just get it through a worship service. That's not enough. This man, he, he wanted to worship. He went to the temple, and he didn't find a God of grace. He was actually rejected by this God. That's not good enough. So we are called to engage. Engage with those who are dead. say we, we do that, we, we engage with them, and what, what are we called to do? We're called to educate them, to educate them, to educate the curious, and to teach them, to guide them towards Christ. Look at verse 3. Actually, before that, before that, look at verse 6. You guys all wrote second point. Sorry. Sorry. I know that you guys take notes, and that's, that's frustrating. Uh, Oddly enough, okay, but Philip, he goes to the desert. He meets this guy who is dead in the water. 
life where we expect it to actually get. And that's where if we're listening to the Spirit, we're going to find life in the, the strangest places. God did not abandon Philip. God did not reject him. He sent Philip into death, into darkness, into the desert to engage with this man, this other life form. So, we're to go to the dead, follow the Spirit, and engage with those who are dead. Now, point two. Point two, Aaron. Uh, so, you, you're engaged with the lifeless, and you're to educate them. And educate them begins, verse 15. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? All right, there's a simple truth here. We can be curious about God and want to worship him and not know anything about him and not really understand. And it's good that you're curious, but the hope is that you would understand and know Christ personally. And Philip goes to this man and he says, yes, sir. Do you understand? Do you want to know more? And thankfully, the eunuch, the eunuch responds, verse 31. He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. All right, so we're talking about a lot of cultural differences here. This is a cultural difference. No one in our culture would say this. They would, they would say, yeah, I'll figure it out on my own. Or, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm good. Just leave me alone. searching, if you don't fully understand Christ, there's no shame in admitting that. And oftentimes we act like we've always known Christ and we've always known the answers and we've always been able to do this. But we didn't. We were all taught. And there's no shame in learning and asking questions. And we shouldn't present that as an issue. We invite the curious to, to come know about and notice, there, there's a two-way street here. That the, the mature believer should be, should be offering this to people. And those who are curious should be desiring to learn. That it goes both ways. And it takes a lot of humility to get to that point. But we need to be humble enough to, to learn from them. All right, so he is humble enough, thankfully. And so what, what is his question? Verse 32. Now, the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from him. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? All right, this is a good question. And if you've ever read Isaiah, which I encourage you to do, this is the question, because Isaiah is not very clear, and he jumps all over the place, and you never know who the heck he's talking about. So this is a good question. This is exactly the question you'd have as a non-believer. It's really confusing. Um, but for Philip, Philip's getting pumped about this, because this is, this is the greatest setup. Like, who is, who is this man? Like, I'm Jesus, and like, let me show you. And like, he's, he's like winding up. He's getting ready to knock it out of the park. This is exciting. So, verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth. Now, you have to open your mouth if you're going to talk about Jesus. Opened his mouth, and beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, 
maybe he said, you know, when you went to the temple, you probably saw sheep there. The lambs, the lambs that were going to be sacrificed. And those sheep, they were perfect. They had no blemishes. They had no flaws. None of those sheep were infants. Actually, they weren't allowed to be. It had specifically, they weren't allowed to be. They were perfect. even allowed in the temple. And as a result, you're, here's the unsafest of all. Right? You're, you're alienated from God. You're cut off from him. But, but God sent a new lamb, a new sheep, and actually the, the Son of God, God incarnate, God in flesh. And God sacrificed the perfect, blemishless, pure sheep who died for you. And in that, there was a, there was a reversal. Gentiles, you can come through the beautiful gate. And you can come to the court of women. You can go to the court of men. You can go to the court of the priests. And you know You can go to the holy of holies. The very presence of the holy and perfect God. That you now stand perfect before God. That before you were told him that now, now you, you are an Israelite, because Jesus is the Israelite. And that's where the whole system starts changing. The whole system, is, it changes with Jesus. That before it was about this, this tribe and these people who are so perfect. And you know what? They failed. Israel failed. They were not holy enough. They did not reflect God enough. And so God sent a new Israel, Jesus Christ. He said, this son is perfect. This son is going to represent me. And when the Ethiopian put his faith in Christ, he became new. He became part of the family of God. And he now gets to have the throne of God. And then, maybe Philip told him that, you know what, when, when Christ came, when Christ died, restored you to, to eternal life. That you thought that you would find life for your, for your kids, that that's where your food was and it was gone. No, you are going to live forever in heaven. You're going to live forever in Christ. And actually, you're part of this giant family. The greatest inheritance that this, this, the world is going to own. And as you share the gospel, you're going to create children. Children of God. Offspring are going to 
is not going to come by, by coming to a worship service or by attending a benefit. Church, that comes when someone personally explains the gospel to someone one-on-one and makes it relevant and makes it make sense and tells people, I know that you are, you're ashamed. I know that you are guilty and you hate yourself for your sin and you know what? You are perfect and righteous and you are cleansed and washed and there's nothing else you need. That's a personal one-on-one and that's what we're called to do. We have the joy of getting to do that, to help people see the, the treasures of the kingdom of God in this world. We have a gospel that comes personally to people the outcast as a member of the family of God. So verse 36. As they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Now the eunuch, the eunuch understands. He sees that, well, if Jesus did all that for me, like, I, I'm kind of in, in, the, in the family, and I can be baptized, right? nothing preventing it. He's not going to get any more Jesus. So, yeah, he's in. And he recognizes that. And I think there's something that makes him particularly excited to get this sign of his membership in the covenant. Because uh, the other sign was circumcision. It's not the most inclusive of uh, signs of membership in the community. Um, 50% of the population couldn't get it. The women, it's not very inclusive. And a eunuch couldn't be circumcised for uncomfortable reasons. Um, but here, here he's offered the universal sign. The universal sign of his inclusion in the community of God is baptism. Now he wants, he wants to show what is true inwardly, that he has been included, that he is part of this fellowship. And verse 38, he commanded the chariot to stop. They both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch baptizing him. Notice that he doesn't have to pass a test, he doesn't have to do a bunch of rigmarole, he has Jesus. He's part of the community. application of this. Um, the obvious application is like, if someone's come to faith in Jesus, then they should be baptized. Um, I think that, that's fairly obvious, and I don't think anyone wants to quarrel with that. Um, but in, in our context, there are people who are part of the church inwardly, that they have fellowship with Christ, that they know him, we know him. 
they're still on the outskirts. They're still on the outskirts. They're on, still on the outside. And we are called as his people to, to show outwardly that we are fellowship. That they should be brought into the inner circle and should be treated not like orphans, not like the, the weak people, but should be Maybe you're, everyone is an evangelist, but maybe you're terrified to do that. What you can do is extend your hospitality and show to, to new people, new believers, that they are that they are part of this family, that they are part of this church. Now, some of you do that, but if all of us did that, it would communicate something to the people who found about Christ that the inward reality is too outward, that we have fellowship with Christ as his people. What can you do to, to be create real relationship, real family bond between us? And the other side of it, the other side of it is we built a people. We wanted this outward to the, the prostitutes 
the tax collector, he comes to the Samaritan, all the people who are unclean, outcast, rejects, screw-ups, just dregs of society. And he comes to those people and he gives them good news. He dies for them so that there would be good news. And he raises to life so that they might have Let's talk to them. 